Welcome to Tuesday, people. I am your host, Mitch Album, the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is based. 25 years ago, I got the opportunity to sit alongside my old college professor as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and got to take one last class in life and what's really, really important once you know you're going to die. And I've been learning from those lessons ever since. And this show explores those lessons again, week at a time. Alongside, as always, is my friend and producer of the program, Lisa Goich. Hi, Lisa. Good to see you. Nice to always see you, Mitch. Just it's got been back. quite a uh, couple weeks, right? Yeah. Been just got back from uh, a long stretch in Haiti at the orphanage that I operate there, the Have Faith Haiti Orphanage, with our 52 children. And it was a spectacular time. Uh, it was just great to be there for that long a stretch, even though we're all locked down with COVID-19 and uh, you know, we can't go out. We can't take any of the beach trips that we treat the kids to periodically. We can't go play soccer on a nearby field or go to any of the other orphanages. But we did manage, and I'll I'll throw this in as a side. Uh, I, you know, I'm a former musician, and you're married to a musician, Lisa. Music is a big mm-hmm. part of our lives. And I have for years, I've been operating the orphanage for over 10 years now, for years been funneling down musical instruments and we have now guitars, bass guitars, violins, cellos, keyboards, drums, uh, saxophones, flutes, uh, pretty much anything you can think of except for really wow. exotic stuff. And the kids have learned because they have a lot of time. Obviously, there's no television, no internet or all that. So they love to learn to play instruments and they practice them. But for years, they've been sort of doing this on their own, just Mm-hmm. Each kid goes and gets good, and this one goes and gets good, and this one they share the book, and they wait until this one's done with the book, and then they do the book. And, and so uh, last time I was down there a couple months ago, I uh, I said to them, listen, to the teenagers, you guys, you all play these instruments, but why aren't you making a band? I mean, that's what teenagers mm-hmm. do. Teenagers should make a band, right? And they didn't really understand the idea of it because I realized like the idea of having a garage band is very American. Uh, But when they haven't seen other kids doing it and haven't seen that that's how you do it, I think they thought it was much more formal, like you have to go to some kind of school in order to be in a band. So I said, no, you just get together and you're in a band and you just play. So I started last time I was there and then I continued this time every single day and got the kids together in the room and gave each one. First, I started with the boys and they were doing it a lot. And then the girls got jealous. And so the girls said, well, we want a band too. So then the day became the morning with the boys and the afternoon with the girls. And we would go into our little music room and each kid would take an instrument. Maybe they played it, maybe they didn't, but they had to learn how to play it for that song. And so we had drums and keyboards and somebody played either the bass or the left hand on a, on a keyboard and somebody played the guitar. And this one kid just plays the violin. So I had to work him in on every song, even though all their songs were, you know, rock and roll or <laughs> reggae or something, but there's always a violin. That's okay. And, yeah. And uh, by the time we were done, the last day we were there, we did a concert where the girls' band did three songs and the boys' band did three songs. And it was just so precious, and I've recorded it. And if you go to uh, my website at MitchAlbum.com or HaveFaithHaiti.org, our website, I'm going to be posting these videos of the kids and their big concert. They never performed before. And, of course, the only people they could perform for were their little brothers and sisters. So we're basically performing for five and six and seven year olds uh and the staff 
but it was such a kick to see them perform. And they took to it. You know, they were so nervous before. And then all of a sudden they're going, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, those <laughs> kinds of things that they do. And uh, the boys did uh, three songs. They did Do You Love Me by The Contours. You know, Do You Love mm-hmm. Me? The mm-hmm. girls. Uh, the, and then their second song was La Bamba, which is mm-hmm. interesting because it's in Spanish and they don't speak Spanish, but they they uh, they got you know, they, they mouthed it along. And then the third one was this song from The Greatest Showman, A Million Dreams, which they really mm-hmm. love. Uh, Hugh Jackman sings and all. So they did a great job. And then the girls did uh, Lean On Me by Bill Withers, I'll Be There by the Jackson Five, and some song from the new Annie uh, movie, the latest Annie movie that had Jamie Foxx in it and all that, called mm-hmm. New York City or something, or The City's Yours. And they, they just had a blast. And... Um, how I can fun. Just, it was so, so, so much fun to see kids come together and make bonds that are going to last for a lifetime. And of course, that's what we talk about on this show, bonds that last for a lifetime and what to do with them. And And I thought today I would just talk, not very long, but because some of you may know that Haiti is always going to be a bittersweet experience for me, even though I'm there every month, because a few years back we adopted... Uh, brought into our lives, I mean, formally adopt her, but she was essentially our child, uh, a little girl named Chica uh, who had a brain tumor. And she had been in our orphanage for nearly three years prior to that. Uh, but then when the brain tumor developed, we brought her to America to think that, uh, thinking that we could get this thing taken out and she'd be fine and she'd go back home. And, of course, that never happened. She stayed with us for two years and we traveled around the world trying to find a cure for DIPG, uh, which was the fatal brain tumor that she had. And normally that brain tumor takes children in about four or five months. And in fact, the doctors in America told us just take her home and you know let her die in her home country because she's not going to last very much longer. Wow. But we knew that she was a fighter and, and she'd always been a fighter with us. She was always stubborn. <laughs> and you know She would never take no for an answer if she wanted something, even at age five. So we said, if she fights, we'll fight. And uh, she did. She fought for two years. And those two years were the two most magnificent years that my wife and I ever had because uh, we had a family here in our, in our own little home here in Michigan and all around the world, wherever we travel with her. Anyhow, the point is that when Chica passed away, uh, we always knew that we were going to uh, bury her in Haiti because she is Haitian and was born in Haiti and, and deserved to have her final resting place there. I thought that that was appropriate. I didn't think it would be right that we bring her to America and she somehow should be buried here in America. All the boys and girls that she lived with, all her brothers and sisters at the orphanage were there in Haiti. And, you know, she was born into that soil, from that soil, and to it she should return. At least that's the way that we looked at it. So uh, we brought her back, and um, and she's buried in a cemetery in Haiti in a, in a little corner uh, of the of the. Cemetery, so she's all by herself in this little corner with trees, nice little trees over it, and a little bench that we have ah. and can sit by. And uh, there's a beautiful picture of her on her small little tombstone there, so that it's not a horrific place uh, in any way. Because I thought at some point, and some of the boys and girls have already come out with us to that site to to visit it, and we go to visit it when we're down there. And I didn't want it to be scary or spooky uh you know children should understand that death is part of life and and so is visiting 
the dead. And that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today, because Maury and I spoke about that in our very last session. And of course, thinking about it with little Chica um, brought it home to me. Now, I can tell you that going to visit a cemetery is not a pleasant idea in the mind when you are thinking about having to do it. I don't know very many people who go, oh, I can't wait tomorrow, I get to go to the cemetery. Um, (laughs) It just isn't something you look forward to, Uh, at least most people don't, because it feels, you know, you you have to make an appointment. It's not like thinking of your loved one who has passed away, because that just comes upon you. You could be doing anything and you have a pleasant thought about them or a pleasant memory or maybe a bittersweet memory, but you don't move. You don't, you didn't know that that was going to happen. It just happens Mm -hmm. when you think of your mom. I'm sure it's that way, Lisa, or other loved ones that you've lost. And we certainly, I look at a picture of Chica and I, you know, I'm taken back. I see a video. I hear a song that she used to like. uh, I smell a food that we always used to cook for her, something like that. And instantly the idea comes to you and, you know, you're transformed back. But, a right, cemetery, yeah. right? But a cemetery visit, you have to think about. Nobody just wanders over to the cemetery. Nobody happens to just sort of be going there anyhow. And oh, here I am at the cemetery. There's the grave of right. my loved one. So I understand that it can be off-putting to go to visit the departed. But I think it is an important thing to do, and I think that if you go and make the effort to do it. It will be worthwhile. Most people I know, once they do go, are glad that they did. But they'll be the first ones to tell you, boy, I put this off. I didn't want to go. I've been talking about going for two years, and I finally got around to it. You should go, and let me share with you a little bit of why I think this is. So when Maury and I were in our final session together turned out to be our final session together was a Tuesday. I've talked about this before when it was the only Tuesday of all the visits we had that Maury was not sitting in his chair in his office. Maury was in Mm -hmm. bed and his old aphorism was, if you're in bed, you're dead. And sure enough, shortly thereafter he was. And during that visit, Maury uh, asked me to hold his hand And that was really something special, I thought, because here he was, he he couldn't move at all. And his sensations obviously were limited, his his ability to move, uh, ability, his nerves within his own body, his nervous system and his ability to function was totally taken down. And yet he would always say, hold my hand, hold my hand, hold my hand. So I held his hand. And he said, I want to ask you a favor. Now, remember that this is, in Maury's mind, the last time he's going to see me. I'm pretty sure he was aware that this was the end. And in hindsight, I recognized that this was the end too. And so he says, I want to ask you a favor. Now, what do you suppose the last favor that someone would ask someone before they died would be? Give your hmm. imagination some some slack, some rope, hmm. and think, well, okay, a person who's about to die is going to ask me a favor. 
what would the favor be? Maybe you would think I want you to watch out for something after I'm gone. Mm -hmm. Take care of, make sure my kids get this or that. Make sure my wife is looked after, starts a new life at some point or Make sure they don't sell the stock. I, I don't know. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> could be any one of a million things, right? Favors. This was what Maury's favor was. And it's really, honestly, Lisa. If I'm I'm being honest, uh, I don't think he ever asked me for a favor before that. So this was not only his last favor; it was his only favor. Right. This is what he said: "I want you to come visit me at my grave." Now, maybe he knew what I just got done saying, that left to our own devices, many of us will not go to a cemetery. Many of us will just not make the visit. We'll come up with excuses why. We'll say, well, I'm doing it in my head. I'm visiting in my head. Why do I physically need to be there? Maybe Maury understood that. And so he asked me a favor because I think he knew that I would not refuse him his last and, as I mentioned, his only favor. Mm -hmm. I want you to come to my grave, he said. All right, I said. I was probably going to do that anyhow. And he said, well, not the way that everybody else comes. So now I knew that this was a favor that was right. specific to me, right? What do you mean? Don't bring me flowers. Drive the car in. Get out, but leave the engine running. Meaning you're not going to be there for very long. Go put the flowers down. Say a few words. Get back in the car and go. I don't want you to do that. Now, those of you listening to us, how many of you have done that? for departed loved ones or friends at a cemetery. That constitutes your visit. You drive right. in, leave the engine running, <laughs> I guess if it's cold outside, and put down some flowers, say a few words, miss you, get back in the car. Listen, that's better than nothing, and that's still a visit, and you know we're not here to judge the visits. But Maury was. Maury... It was the end. Maury wasn't worried about what anybody was going to think. That wasn't a visit to him. He said, I want you to come when you have some time. I want you to bring a blanket and bring some sandwiches. And I want you to talk to me. And this is the essence of the whole thing. And I've mentioned this in the past. I want you to talk to me. And I said, talk to you? And he said, yeah, talk to me about life about what's going on in your world. You can tell me how the Red Sox are doing. He was in Boston. <laughs> talk to me. And I said, talk to you. And he said, yes, just like we're doing now. And I said, well, Maury, let's face it, it won't be like we're doing now because I won't, I'll be talking, but you won't be able to talk back. Right. And he looked at me as if I were being very naive. And he said, well, Mitch, I'll make you a deal. After I'm dead, you talk, I'll listen. See? His last joke. Yeah. <laughs> now, I should tell you that 
I have since rarely gone to Boston and not gone to Maury's grave. I've probably gone to Maury's grave more than anybody else's in my, even in my own personal family that I've gone to visit. And it's precisely because he asked me before he died to do so. And I'm glad that he did. My mother did the same thing. And I'm glad that she did because without that little oomph, without that little push, we might not go. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are some loved ones who say, look, don't come to the cemetery after I'm gone. That's just a pile of bones and it's not me. And just think of me at home or whatever. I don't care if you come visit at a cemetery. There's some people who are very um, standoffish about burial places. Yeah themselves, even if they're the ones who are dying, you know, it doesn't mean anything to me. But those two parties, Maury and and my mother, and therefore my father, because he's right next to her, uh, asked me to come visit, and I do because of that. And I can tell you that while I'm not crazy about it the night before, it feels like a, a heavy chore, you almost praying for rain or snow so you don't have to go. When I get there, it is the most calming, pleasant experience. First of all, cemeteries are pretty quiet and pretty empty. Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, I love cemeteries. They're serene, they're calm, and they're forced calm in the middle of your day. You know, chances are, you're not going to a cemetery at 11 o'clock at night. So you probably had to take off from work or interrupt a Saturday or a Sunday. The football games were on or you were going to run to the mall or whatever it is. And instead, you're at the cemetery. But once you get there, it is quiet. It is calm. And you enter a different world. You enter the world of the recently and long departed. You find yourself not only perhaps looking at the gravestone of your loved one, but don't you find that you end up sort of walking around a little bit just to see who's the oldest one there? Just oh, to see I, if there's I any 18, 1800 births, you know, 1893 yeah. or 1898, right? Yeah, we, I do that all the time. And I like to look at people's names and I like to see how old they were when they died. Um, you know, here in Los Angeles, we have a, it's called the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like old actors and actresses and stuff that are in there. Toto is buried there. Uh, um, Toto I was wondering from, uh, where Toto. The got Wizard buried. of Oz. Yeah. Uh, well, at least there's a stone there for Toto. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to walk around mausoleums and I don't know. It, they even do, it's weird. I know maybe it's because it's Los Angeles, but they do movie nights at the um, cemetery. Yeah, um, that's starting to get a and, little creepy well, and I mean, cultish. It's, it's in one section of the cemetery, but what I want to say is to get to that section, you have to kind of wind through all these beautiful roads that lead you to this part. And it right. it's very, everybody's quiet, everybody is respectful, and I always think that if I, although I'm not, my, my choice is not to go into a cemetery, I'm going to be buried in, as a coral reef. Now, it sounds weird. But um, <laughs> um, okay. eternalreefs.com, that's where I'm going. Um, but 
you know, I think there's something nice about knowing that there's people hanging out where you are and right. enjoying themselves and living. And I don't know, it's, it's connecting well, the two worlds of life and death. That raises the interesting question about, is a visit to the cemetery for you or for the departed? See, Maury said to me, I want to ask you a favor. And I have to say that I thought at the time that that's what it was. But I have come over the years, in his case and in my mom's case, to realize that they were doing me the favor. Because by insisting that I go, they were building into my life the calm, reflective moments necessary to rightly remember them and reset my own course a little bit. Because when you go uh-huh. to a cemetery and you see the people who have come before you and your loved ones who are no longer there, you get a perspective about your own life that you cannot possibly get when you're not reminded of those things. Because we're all very right. sort of myopic and we just sort of think about ourselves and our own world and what's going on at the time. And Maury and, 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 and my folks understood that a visit to the cemetery can remind you that you did not begin by yourself and when you end, you won't be by yourself, and that you are part of a lineage, part of a long unfolding tapestry, a long, long line of people in the story of your family and your family's story within the world. And when you realize that, today's problem doesn't seem so big, and what you got to do tomorrow doesn't seem so onerous, because you say, wait a minute, all these people here at one point or another, had a today and a tomorrow that they were Mm -hmm. worried about. And look what happens in the end. Somebody picked up the pieces when they were no longer here. Someone sat at their desk after they were gone. Someone took over that department when they weren't here. Somebody started watching their kids when they weren't here. No matter what the task was that consumed them, Like the old Emily Dickinson poem, because I could not stop for death, it kindly stopped for me. We all think that we're just too busy to die. A cemetery shows you, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. And by going and visiting that, you realize every person in there at one point or another was feeling what you're feeling right now. Oh, I've got to go do this, or I've got to go do this. I've got this thing on my mind I've got to take care of. I've got a wallet in my pocket. I've got a phone that I've got to answer. They all had that. But this is where they are now. And if that doesn't give you some kind of perspective, then you're just not paying attention. So they were doing me the favor by asking me to go to the cemetery, ostensibly to visit them, but really to reset myself and to reset where I stand in the world and how temporal all the world is, how quick Mm -hmm. it goes. One of the amazing things about cemeteries and tombstones is the what I call the dash effect. The dash effect is the year that you were born, the year that you died, the dash in between. The dash is your life. The dash... Mm is the time that you spent on earth. 
1950-2020. You are the dash. The dash is 70 years. 1941-2021. You know, the dash. Interesting way to look at it. Yeah, you're the 80. You're the dash. But there was the year you are born, the year you died, and the world went on. The world went on before you. Right. And the world will go on after you. And you were just the dash in between. Isn't that something? Like we never, that's the one thing I think people don't think about is the world before them. I mean, we all know history and you think of history as sort of this kind of abstract thing in place, but think about it. You weren't here and that's what life is going to be like when you're gone, just as it was before you were here. It will go on, you know, and that is true. That's what cemeteries teach me too. You know, I don't get my mom. I only get to see her when I come back to Michigan. And so, um, you know, and it's okay. It's all right. But I talk to her a lot here. You know, right. I have pictures. I talk to the air. I talk right. to, you know, right. <laughs> we have our own thing happening. Right. Um, but I like to go to cemeteries. I, I do find them calming and I could walk around. I, like even here, I sometimes I just like to get in the car and go to the cemetery and walk around. I don't know. It gives you a perspective, I think. And people well, are so afraid of death, by the way. Right. And I think that if you go to a cemetery right. and look around and really take think about it, the, some of the take fear, some of that fear away. Some of that whole patina that, that hangs over death for a lot of people that makes it so scary. And it, it's interesting mm-hmm. that cemeteries are the calmest places on earth, and yet the thought of death is the most violent and most upsetting thought that we have. And the contrast mm-hmm. is very interesting. And I think Maury understood all that when he said, come to my grave and talk to me. And I do. I sit by this grave. It's on a hillside above a little pond. And there are some ducks there. And uh, he picked a good spot. And I sit there and I talk to him. And I do tell him what's going on. And at first it feels a little weird because it's just you. And you're sitting there and you're talking and you're hoping that nobody walks by. But after a while, because generally there aren't a lot of people walking by in cemeteries, it's pretty easy. And yeah. you say, uh, here's what's going on with me, and occasionally you ask a question, so how are you doing? Because <laughs> you know, it's just what we do. How are things up there? Uh, I, hope, I hope I'm making you happy. I hope I'm making you proud. Uh, but invariably, when I'm done with all those little discussions, done with the updates, done with the, uh, you know, I, 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 I hope, you're at peace, and I hope you're looking down at me right now, and you're smiling because I'm here. And you say, all right, I'll see you next time I'm here. I find myself almost inversely proportioned to the hesitation I had in going. That's how good I feel on my way out. How glad right. I feel that I went and that I did that. And I think it is that internal thing within us that knows that we need to face this. We need to see where we all ultimately end up to reset ourselves and put our lives into perspective. And it's like when you're thirsty, but you don't have time to drink because you're so busy and you're so busy and you're so busy. And then all of a sudden you realize, man, am I thirsty? And you finally, and you go get that water and you drink it and you realize, well, wow, it really felt great. But if you had been drinking all along, you wouldn't have ever become thirsty. So it was you're allowing yourself to go all that time without having that. It's the same thing without going and visiting the dead for long stretches of time. And then when you finally do, you feel sort of 
rebalanced and good about yourself. You didn't have to become that out of balance. It didn't have to become such a chore if you had just done it a little bit more often. And so I encourage people, when we go and see Chica, it's heartbreaking because no one should ever have to lose a child under any circumstance. No one should have to bury a child, and certainly not a seven-year-old child. But we invariably, Janine and I, end up talking about, weren't we lucky to have that time with her? Remember this, remember that. She always she would have loved this. She would have said that. And I'm not sure that we would have spent that time talking about her right. if we hadn't gone that day. We'd be busy with whatever else was going on. So I think Maury understood. I know my mom, who liked to be talked about, understood it, that it will spark your thoughts, your conversation. And in that way, they stay alive. You talk, I'll listen. Think about that phrase. You talk, I'll listen. That's still a conversation. It's not a two-way conversation, but you're saying something, they're listening, you're getting out of it saying, I'm talking, I'm, 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 I know you're understanding me, I'm having the feeling of connection, which is what a conversation is about. And who knows, maybe for the dead, they get the feeling of connection too. Maybe wherever the dead are, when you go to their cemetery, there's a feeling, if you can feel, of connection to the earth that they don't get when you're not there. Right. Who knows? And if that's true, wouldn't you want to do that? So Maury knew what he was doing when he asked me his final favor. And I think the favor was as much a favor to me as it was a favor to him. And I'm always happy to oblige it. And I'm glad that he asked it of me. And I encourage you, if you have loved ones who are in cemeteries, who are buried, try it. Go and sit and talk. Have that conversation. You talk, they'll listen. And see if you don't feel better about your own life after you go visit the resting place of others. Right. That's this week's suggestion, this week's lesson. We do this every Tuesday, and you can find out more about it at wetuesdaypeople.com. You can get in on some conversations, talk about some of the topics that we're talking about here, find out more about the show, leave us a message, a comment. Of course, we always love to hear that. Until we get together again, on behalf of Lisa Goitsch, this is Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>